jump into our, our teaching series. If you've got your Bible, uh, why don't you turn with me? Uh, we're in uh, Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, so Paul's letter to Philemon, and I'm going to be reading the whole thing, and it's going to be coming up on the screen in front of you as well. So I'm reading from the ESV, Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. There's an encouragement for you. To the church in your house. I'm not talking about church as a building, or as an organisation, or as a brand that, that needs to be kind of sold somewhere with its logo. The church is the gathered people of God, and they can meet anywhere, even in Philemon's house. To the, to, to the, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you, uh, when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived, received much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. That's a play on the, the name Onesimus, which means useful. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very in, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant or slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, our, our, uh, gosh. Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Normally I give myself a bit of a run up to this. I'm reading on a slightly smaller text font. So I, I, Aristarchus, thanks Neil. Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
As I say, this morning we are back in this letter to Philemon, this being the final time, final part of this teaching series. We've had four weeks looking at uh, this letter. Um, just to kind of a bit of a background, and we've, we've looked at this before, but, but Paul is, is the Apostle Paul who is traveling, taking the good news of Jesus to from city to city, having received a commission from Jesus to be his messenger to the nations and to kings. He's, he's told that he, he encounters Jesus, he meets Jesus on the road, and he receives this commission. He finds himself in uh, Antioch with Barnabas, and they together are sent off from there go to, to do those things that you've been called to. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work to which I've called them. And so they are launched into this uh, uh, cross-cultural mission that spans right the way from Israel across into Greece and then, and then Paul goes on to Rome and, and, and the gospel just goes and goes and goes. And that's the story of Acts, of seeing the gospel going from city to city as it is preached and proclaim. Now, at one point in Paul's ministry, he comes to a city called Ephesus, which is a big city hub, international hub city, lots of people passing through, lots of business uh, being conducted there, lots of people traveling. And he, uh, we're told, preached the gospel, preached the good news of Jesus every day uh, from a teaching hall in that city. And then from there, uh, Luke, who writes um, the book of Acts, he tells us from there, the whole province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, is kind of, that's um, part of uh, modern-day Turkey. The, that whole province, that whole region, heard the gospel because of Paul's preaching in Ephesus. And we kind of pick up some of those stories of, of how that happened, how uh, the church, uh, the good news spread. Um, one of these cities uh, in that region, a, a city called uh, Colossae, uh, this is this is reached by uh, the guy Epaphras, who who hears the, uh, Paul's preaching and takes it, it seems, back to his hometown and tells the gospel there. And that seems to be the church that is meeting in Philemon's home. Philemon, being a church leader, a, a wealthy man, has uh, is using his front room to host this uh, church as they as they gather these people who have heard the good news as preached by Paul and. Uh, to gathering as we are today to continue to walk in that faith, to continue to move in that faith. Now, what's happened is Paul, now in prison, uh, is writing to Philemon. Philemon, uh, as, a, as many wealthy uh, uh, men in, back in that day, would have owned slaves. He would have owned slaves. And he had this one slave, Onesimus who we, we uh, don't know the full story, but he seems to have, uh, he's a runaway slave, he's wronged uh, Philemon in some way, maybe he's robbed from him, or he's uh, wronged him in some other way, but he's, he's run away from his duties, which is a dangerous thing to do as a slave in the Roman world. He runs away, and he finds himself, by the, the wonderful hand of God, by the providence of God, with Paul, who is in prison. And so, Paul teaches Onesimus the gospel and Onesimus responds and suddenly he is no longer just a slave, he is a brother and a son in the family. And so Paul, uh, having, having ministered to Onesimus, having uh, taught him the gospel, now uh, is being served by Onesimus who is coming to serve him in, 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 hospital, in uh, prison. I forget where he is. In prison. In, uh, and so... And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. You know, Onesimus, as we saw uh, last week, he, he would have been coming on his, off his own back. 
You know, there's no state support for you in prison in those days. It's no, it's your family and your friends who are supporting you. And so Onesimus is coming as, as a friend of Paul to serve, to bring food, uh, to help keep him clean and happy. He is doing that work of a family member to Paul. And now Paul uh, writes to Philemon to say, look, here's what's happened. You've lost Onesimus. And he, and he has wronged you, but please, would you now receive him, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ? Would you receive him as yours? And this letter comes to Philemon, but is addressed to the church as well. To Philemon and the church in your house. And so the whole church hearing this story of, that's Philemon's wrong. We were, that came up in the prayer meeting last week. Philemon was saying, you know, this guy's wronged me. Would you pray for me? Paul is saying, no, receive him as a brother. Forgive him, receive him as a brother. And so far in this series, we've looked at, uh, just in this short letter, we've looked at what uh, it shows us about the gospel and about relationships. Um, our, Our relationship with Jesus, how our relationship with Jesus shapes and informs our relationships with one another. And we've seen that that when we encounter Jesus and we encounter the gospel, that our relationships with one another suddenly have the power to love even through offence, to forgive. We've seen that when we join ourselves to Jesus, we become his followers, we are amazingly forgiven as has come up in our worship. That happens when we, when we meet with Jesus, we are, we're forgiven. All those wrongs, all, those, all that mess in our lives, the wrong that you've done in your life, your worst mistakes and messes, he takes them away, he forgives you. And as he does that, We are given the challenge and the power to forgive others. And we see that in this story here. Philemon, having received the gospel now, the challenge and the command and the power to receive uh, someone who has wronged him. And Onesimus, who himself has been wronged, systematically wronged in his slavery, now called to forgive and to accept Philemon, his old master, as his brother. We've seen that that we are called to be a diverse people, that we are called to love those who are different. You know, we've seen that in the good news of, of how this good news is for everybody, for all nationalities, for the rich, for the poor, for servant and master. Everybody's invited in. And so the church is called to be a diverse place, crosses every social barrier. Philemon probably got a bit of slander for accepting his old slave back as a brother, for welcoming him back into his house as a brother and a guest, rather than as his slave. When he had every right in the Roman world to see him imprisoned, to see him punished, like, what is up with Philemon, who's, who's receiving, has he gone mad? No. So, so we don't say, as a church, no, we don't want those sorts of people here. Or we don't say, or no one, we don't want anybody to be able to say amongst us, I don't really feel like I belong here because I'm different from these guys in this way. No, no, we... The church are called to be diversity, to be to be diversity incarnate. There is a, a display of the glory of God across every nationality, across every type. I, I said last week this this moment in Acts where the church in Antioch are first called Christians, and you imagine the, the the people outside of the church looking in and going, "Who are these guys?" You know, there's rich, there's poor, there's there's uh, there's people from uh, Europe and Africa, there's Greeks, there's Jews. What do we call them? The only thing we can call them is Christians because there doesn't seem to be anything else that unites them. And there's this kind of wonderful moment. It's just like this display of the glory of God in diversity. And we're called as a church to do that. There's one of the things that we heard yesterday as Daniel was speaking to us. He, um, he talks about 
the, the church as almost like this foreign embassy in a foreign country. So, so just as uh, the U.S. embassy is, it is a display of almost a kind of a, the United States in the U.K. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven on earth, and so you want to encounter uh, the kingdom of heaven. You come here into this small room amongst this small group, and you will meet with the glory of God. That's what the church is called to be. It's not just something that you attend. It's, it, is, it is the manifold wisdom of God to the nations and to the powers and principalities. And so when you, when you say yes to Jesus, you, you become part of the church, part of the gathered community that does this. And one of the ways that it does this, right, we're told in, in, in Revelation, there's this going to be this moment when, when everything is drawn to a close and every tribe, every tongue, every nation will declare the glory of God. And, it, and what we see as we come into moments like this is we see how wonderful to be singing in multiple languages. Here in this room, that is revealed to the world as they would see it. And we see it in this story. Diversity, the church, master and slave, family. And then finally, last week, we, we looked at the church and how the church is called to be a family. When Esmus is no longer your slave, says Paul, but your brother. And we looked last week at the implication of that in terms of care. You know, the ancient world, your family, you take ultimate responsibility for, for your care. There's no state to look after them. It's your job. You, if, and so if your family suffer, it's, it's, that's on you. And so there's this kind of, you know, hey, if we're brothers and sisters, if we belong to one another as family, then, then we're called to care for one another, to make sure that nobody is in need or in lack. And so today, as we come to this letter for the final time in, as part of this series, I want us to continue to look at this idea of church as family but I also want us to think about it in the context of family on a mission to be a family on a mission and I think it's something that we see wonderfully at work in this letter and it's woven right the way through it both in the story that it's part of you know you get this letter and it's a little snapshot into a part of a story that is unfolding in that those first days of the church and the whole language and tone of the letter display both family and mission. Now, I just want to start by saying that family is not a metaphor. It is not a metaphor. In the, in, in the New Testament, when it's talking about the church, family is not a metaphor. Now, the Bible does use different pictures to help us see, uh, to understand what it's saying, right? So, uh, you know, Jesus says, like a, like a mother hen might gather up her chicks, that's what I want to do to you. Or... As John the Baptist says, as we've seen in our, in our Matthew series, you know, like the axe laid at the bottom of the tree, so imminent is the coming of the kingdom of God. And there's this sense of urgency, respond. And, he's, and these images are used to help us to see what the, you know, what the truth is like. But family is not a metaphor. It, is, it comes from the fatherhood of God. He's not just like a father. He is the archetype father. He is the father. In fact... You know, God's not like a father. He is the, the father, Paul says, from whom every family gets its name. You know, fathers are only fathers in as much as they direct and point us back to the true father. Right? It's almost like rather than God searching for a metaphor, what am I like? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like a father. It's fatherhood exists out of God. God is the father. And so fathers exist to point us back to God as father. Family isn't a metaphor. 
Families and fathers point us back to their origin, God. God, who is the Father. And we now, the family. And so the church isn't like a family. The church is a family. The church isn't like a family. It is a family. In the truest sense. In the truest sense. And so it's not just language that we use, like nicey, nicey, you know, Brother Neil. You know, it's just not, it's just not, an, it's just not that. It's, it is true. It should be there at the core of who we are. And the reality of that is seen throughout this letter. Right? Verse 1, Timothy, our brother. Verse 2, Aphia, our sister. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 5, your love for the saints. Verse 7, I get much comfort from your love, my brother. Verse 9, I appeal, the, the appeal to brotherly love as he's writing on Onesimus' behalf. Verse 10, Onesimus, my child, whose father I became. Verse 12, in sending to him to you, I send my very heart. Verse 16, receive him not as a slave, but as a brother, in, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And we said that that was like a double emphasis last week. This, not just, this isn't just a nicey-nicey thing. This is no truly your brother. Verse 20, again, Paul referring to Philemon as his brother in, 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 in Christ. Verse 22, ask, set, make a space for me in your house. Prepare a guest for me as you would a family member. And then finally in the close, those final greetings, a group of other family members who said, oh, if you're rising to Philemon, would you send him my love? Look, can you see that as we read this, this is not how people talk if they were just part of you know, a, a, you know, the same social club or organisation or attending the same show. I'll tell you, it's, it's so quick that people can begin to think of church that way. I, I go there and I, I go there because I like the worship there and they, they, you know, wow, they, 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 the, the production value is great. Or they, they, that person's a great speaker, worth learning and listening to. No, church is not just an organisation or a show. It is, it is, it is family. It is family. And so, as, as, as Neil was saying before, it's, it extends far beyond this room and what's happening here. Although it's, this is key and, and, and a central part of that family life that when the family come together, but, but it's, it's everywhere when each of you gather. This isn't how mates from work talk. It's not how people in, a, or in the betting shops talk to one another or, or even business partners. They do not talk this way. This is family. These people are bound to one another. They belong to one another. They care for one another. They take ownership of one another. And they are responsible for one another. And yet, alongside this, woven again throughout the letter, we clearly see this family is on a mission. This family is going somewhere. We, as God's church, together are commissioned by Jesus. Jesus, you know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, after, after walking with his, his brothers for those years and teaching them and showing them what it is to live his way, to be part of the kingdom of heaven, he says, right now, you guys, I'm sending you. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm sending you now. Go to the, all the world and proclaim. Teach them as I've taught you. Make disciples. There is a mission. There is a mission, and we've received that together. We have received that mission together, and it is our family business. It is our Father's work. We are a family on a mission. And I love the family aspect of church. I love the family aspect of church, but there is a way of doing that that neglects the mission. Right? We can kind of focus on making each other feel warm and snuggly by, um, you know, 
if this can kind of become a bit of a clique um, and we can make this about, you know, this big performance that we put on for you guys and it's just really nice and are you, you know, can I fluff your pillow? That's not our job. We have a mission and we're here for a purpose. We have a purpose. We don't want to become inward looking. We have a great mission that we're on together. And again, we can see that through the letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ, verse 1. Philemon is, is not just beloved, but he's a fellow worker or co-laborer. That could be translated. You're, you're in the pits alongside me. That sort of together at the coal face, shoveling coal into the fire. This co-worker. Archippus is, is not just a, a brother, but he's a fellow soldier. Also could be translated co-campaigner. We are on this campaign together. We're you know, setting up the tents together. We're in the shield wall together. We are, we are on a mission. There is a campaign to be taken hold of. We're working together. He talks about sharing the faith, that, that being the key aspect of the, the mission. In verse uh, 6, Paul makes several references to his, his being imprisoned for the gospel. I'm in, the, I'm in prison because of the gospel, because of my preaching. Verse 17, partners in the gospel. That wonderful uh, takes me to uh, uh, Philippians 1, where Paul is talking about, hey, look, you are partakers of truth, partakers of the gospel. You've received this wonderful gospel, and now you are partners with me for the gospel. This kind of partnership in, in seeing the gospel advance, in people, seeing people hear about Jesus. In verse uh, verses 23, that, again, that final uh, greetings of these people who send their love, also fellow workers uh, in uh, Christ. You see, we must be both. And I hope that's something that those of you who were with us yesterday saw, that we are a family, love one another, get around one another when it gets hard, support one another, but we are on a mission. We are doing something. We don't want to become, as I say, just gooey, of just fluffing each other's pillows. We have a mission. But equally, we don't want to forget that we're family and become businesslike. We are not strategy-based. Uh, you know, when I come here and speak to you, I'm not coming to speak to you as, as a CEO. I'm coming to you as, as a brother and as a friend, as a member of your family. We, we want to make sure that we don't let either one of these things drop because if one of them drops, we, we suddenly fall, uh, to fail to do those things that we've been called to do. Now, there are some implications of this, of being both family and on a mission. What it means is, um, I, I've put this down here as people not pamphlets. Now there's a way of kind of talking about church of like, you know, these are the bullet points, these are what we do, um, this is, these are the things that we believe, this is our statement of faith. Now I think our statement of faith is helpful. I don't, I'm not against statements of faith. You know, when I've spoken at uh, Christian unions, um, they get you to sign their statement of faith to make sure you're not going to say something com completely AWOL. Um, and, you know, that's right, and that's good, you know, it protects the teaching. Um, and it's important to be able to have something like that. But, but, but when Paul... One, he's writing to the Corinthians and he says, right, I, want, I want you to get my doctrine. What does he do? He doesn't send them a statement of faith to sign or a list of bullet points. Make sure you, you agree with me on these points. He sends them Timothy. Timothy is his pamphlet. <laughs> like, you want to know what we believe? Here's Timothy. And I'd, I would love that to be true of us. And I think, and I think that's, that's, it's true, isn't it? Right? I would, what, what's Freedom Church like? Oh, let me introduce you to Mike. <laughs> there you'll get an idea of what Freedom Church is like. What, what's it like? Let me show you Wendy. You, what, are we, what do you guys believe? Here they are. <laughs> this is what we believe. They embody the doctrines. They embody. In fact, that word doctrine is not a dusty old word in the Bible. It's a, it's a whole life thing. Right? Your whole life is your doctrine. You're doing, you're living, you're loving, 
That is all your doctrine. And so we want to be like that. It's people, not pamphlets. The other implication is with its families, not projects. So when we talk about the things that we do in serving the poor and serving one another, this is, this is a family work. It's not a project. Right? We're not just going, okay, you're a project to me. No, this is out of love. It is family work. When we tell people about Jesus, again, it's not, just, it's not a project. It is, it is about extending the family. It's about being loved to one another. In planting and strengthening churches as we work internationally, as we've done, um, in sending money and, and in uh, praying for and connecting with other churches, that is, that is not a project that we're involved in. That is family together. It also has implications in terms of when we talk about even when we talk about Paul and his ministry, he's, he's not running around as some nameless messenger. Right? You can sometimes have this idea of we can sometimes have this idea of, of leaders or as preachers or or speakers as this this distant man of God, holy man, the unapproachable. Paul is not like that. When Paul comes, he comes and he sits in your house, he sits in your front room. And he eats his meals with you. So that Paul can say when he's writing to the churches, you know how I was when I was with you. I, you know, I've been in settings where you know, a big, big name speaker comes in. They, they don't even come in to worship. They, they barge in. They come up onto the step platform. They, they preach a great message and then they disappear and nobody gets to speak to them. And there's almost like a, a line of people to stop you getting to speak to them. Right? Um, uh, Dave Devonish, who's a, a, a friend of, of our family of churches, he was with us. Uh, when we were in South Africa, and he was speaking about a time when he was actually in a setting like that. But he, there was, a, a, there was a, a security line almost of people who were, who were preventing the church from coming to speak to him. And, he, he, and so he said he had to work to, to get out of that security to actually get to speak to the church and build those relationships. Because that is what the apostolic gift does. It is, it's, not just, it's, not a, um, it's not a distant man of God. It is a father amongst the family. And that's what leadership should be. You know, and there's there's this there's this way that it's worked, not a distant public figure, but or unapproachable, but approachable family member. Uh, I was hearing somebody else speak, and they were talking about um, how they asked um, people who are coming to uh, kind of theological college, asking them who's who's had the biggest impact on you in your life, who's been the big voice in your life, and and so often they'll point to you know, big-named authors or big-named speakers, people who have never met them and they have never met. This is the person who's had the most impact on me. See, that's just not the, you know, it's great that we can receive these big gifts who write these books. And, but, but the relationship should be there. Who's had the biggest impact on you? Oh, my dad, <laughs> my father, my father in the Lord, the person who came and walked with me, who, who, who sat with me when everything fell apart, who helped me who showed me the way to Jesus, who showed me how to walk. Those things, those are the things. Paul says he's writing to the Corinthians who, who get caught up in all of the sparkly ministries going. He says, look, you have many teachers. You've got many teachers. Look at all these books. Wow, they're great. Look at those things. If you just Google that, you can, you can download this sermon. That's brilliant. But you haven't got many fathers. You haven't got many fathers. I'm your father. There's this sort of like, no, you, you can't be church. You can't belong to, to Christ without belonging to the family. It's not enough to be downloading sermons and listening to worship when you, you're part of this family. And so that's what Paul is saying. No, you have many, many teachers. Yeah, great. 
great that there's loads of teachers passing through the city, but I'm your father. I'm your father. It has some implications for leadership, as I say. But with Paul, when he's when he does come to to you know to challenge Philemon, as he does, he he says, you know, look. Let me turn to it. He says, I'm, I'm bold enough and I have authority to command you in Christ to do what, you're, what you ought to do. I have, I have the authority to command it. And yet, for love's sake, I appeal to you. Right? Paul has the authority and yet he appeals. Now, there is authority in the church. Now, this is, this, the, authority is a scary word to us Westerners. We're like, no, I'm, I'm my own man and I do things my own way. No, there is authority in the church. But it's the authority, not of a CEO, as I say, like, right, I'm going to take your job away from you if you don't do what I say. The authority in the church is the authority that's in a family. It's the, it's the authority of a, of a loving father. So Paul has authority in, uh, in the church where Philemon is. He has authority to say, no, no, don't, you don't teach because you're teaching wrongly. And he has authority to come in and say, no, that, not that, but this. But it's the loving authority of a father. Not of a distant CEO who wagging his finger. No, it's a it's the loving authority of a father who invests in his children, who invests in uh, his uh, his family. Paul doesn't lead in a way that pulls rank. He doesn't wave his credentials around the way that, you know a way that some people might do. You know, I'm going to make you do this. Here's my here's my credential. Don't you know that I'm apostle an apostle of God? He doesn't do that. And he, you know, he, he could well do because he has that commission. He has those things. He could appeal to his learning, his great learning, and he could pull rank on them that way and say, well, actually, I know Greek. And so you should all listen to me and not me. But he doesn't pull rank. He wears his learning lightly. He is a learned man, most, one of the most intelligent men who've ever lived, probably. And yet he wears his learning lightly as a, and, and uses it to bless in love the church. I tell you, I've, I've had conversations with people where... Um, where at the end of it, my big takeaway was, well, that person just wants to know, wants me to know how clever they are. <laughs> or the same with leadership. Well, oh, just come away from that conversation. Now. Well, that person just wants me to know how, you know how much authority they have. Paul is not like that. You know, he does, the, you know, there comes a point where he does have to contend. He does have to, you know, again, the Corinthian church, who are chasing after all sorts of shiny ministries. Paul has to come in and say, look, no, I'm the real deal. And the gospel that I preach is the real deal. The only time he pulls out his credentials... Is, is when these guys are beginning to chase after false teachings and then for their sake he comes in and has to tell them, no, I'm the real deal. And even when he does that, what does he point to as his credentials? His weaknesses, his sufferings, and his love for them. Just as Paul is pleading for Onesimus, that's what he's doing for, to Philemon. What, is, what are my credentials? On what ground are you going to ask me to do this, Paul? My love for you and your love for Christ. And he's not going to find another route to the work other than that. The route to, to the, the thing is, it's a heart issue. And so I'm going to appeal to your heart, appeal to the gospel, and appeal to my relationship to you. Okay, that's what leaders should be like. Leaders are not distant things. They, they are in the muck with us. Now, I think there is, it is important for us to, to, kind of to hold both of these things, to be both family and mission. And I think there are, there are some real implications for, for us there. As I say, we, we don't want to treat the works that we do as projects. We don't want to treat one another as, as uh, you know, almost just 
workmates on the line, but they're being a real, no, we own one another, we belong to one another, we really care when someone's suffering, we're there. And so both of those things, this family and mission, they come right the way through Paul's writing here, all the way through the New Testament. And it's something that we, we, I really want us to be able to embody as, as Freedom Church. You know, Jesus says, actually, one of the evidences for people who are looking in, who are like, I'm not even sure that Jesus, if God is real. One of the evidences is our love for one another. It displays the truth, the fullness of God. Same for John is saying the same things. One of the ways that people will know that there is a God is by your love for one another. They'll know that you're disciples because you love one another. And so not only is our family missional in, in its own right, but together we look, support one another, we care for one another as we're on this mission. Now when you stand with me, we're just going to pray as we finish there. Um, and then I think maybe we've got one more song in us. Yeah? Uh, why don't you guys come up and um, I'll, just, I'll just pray for us and we'll, and I'll, then I'll hand over to these guys. Yeah, Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you that just as uh, your word says, you take the lonely and you put them in families. Wonderful truth. You take the lonely and you put them in families. And you take those as well who are without purpose, who feel like they're just wandering in life, and you give them great purpose by setting them on your mission. You want us to be part of our father's business, to go into business with our father. God and sons over the church. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for that, that wonderful model that's given. And so, Lord, we pray as we, as we finish this time in Philemon, in this letter, this, this wonderful story as it's been unfolded in front of us, I pray that we would learn those lessons, that we would be family to one another, that we would be brother and sister. Lord, that we wouldn't be pulling rank or, um, yeah, just, just touching each other's lives, but, but rather in them. And as, as we hear in the book of Acts, devoted to one another. And as Margaret wonderfully said, those mealtime moments, those sharing and getting to know one another, those fellowship moments, I pray, Lord, would you multiply us in all of this. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen.